welcome everybody to All About Symbian Insight Podcast number 239, recording this on Tuesday the 18th of June 2013. No, this isn't the All About Windows Phone one, although that's been progressing as well. Do see allaboutwindowsphone.com if you're into Nokia's new direction, etc., etc. This is the Symbian one, isn't it? Rafe Lanford. It is indeed, yes. We've got a few bits of news to catch up on. I suspect we might veer into some Windows Phone territory towards the uh, latter half of the podcast. So if you're a Symbian diehard fan, prepare yourself for that and switch off if you must. <laughs> I guess we should start with a bit of exclusive news. Just to say that um, there has been a, a major update to Qt2, which you all have seen if you see our, our story. Uh, version 1.7.3 is the current version of the Nokia store. It was released about two weeks ago after our last podcast and basically adds full Vimeo support. There's a new quick search box on the um, the front screen. Uh, there's an additional simple video player, and I think that's just maybe for the, the Mego version. I think their change log is a bit wrong there. Um, uh, HD daily motion video downloads, concurrent transfers. You can download, download up to three videos at once. There have been font changes and all sorts of fixes. And I can exclusively, re- exclusively reveal for the podcast listeners, as I'm on the beta program, there's a version 1.8.0 just been submitted to the uh, uh, Nokia Store QA, which adds full keyboard support. So you've got, for example, on the Nokia E6 and E7, you've got full D-pad support, and you can just tab around and cursor around the QTube interface, playing videos with the spacebar, etc., etc., without hardly having to touch the touchscreen at all. And it works really, really well. So I guess we're looking to see that in that released in the store in about a week's time. But uh, QTube really, really motoring on Rafe. It is, and it's a a great app. I mean, I personally use YouTube on the mobile site, but I have used QTube in the past. And if you're looking for the kind of the one third party YouTube app that does it all, uh, I don't think you can really look any further, can you, Steve? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there have been a few uh, software updates since our last uh, podcast. Uh, Nokia Music has been updated, and I'm just pulling, I'm trying to pull up the news story. Oh, Rafe. Well, I can, uh, I can sort this first, Steve, because I've got <laughs> the news story in front of me. Uh, this is actually the new version of Nokia Music that rolled out for the Bell Feature Pack 2 devices about a month ago. So, uh, as Steve referred to it in the news story, it's a uh, cutified uh, version... 16.51 it's now also available for many of the bell refresh devices so that's devices like the nokia e7 and the n8 so it brings that kind of the fresher look and the standalone look um for nokia's music uh, services and the kind of the associated service so if you're downloading music um from nokia you know it will give you frankly an experience that looks a lot smoother i mean there is i guess a bit more of a disconnect on some of these devices because they don't have quite such a complete uh qtified um experience as the feature pack 2 devices um, but for anyone who you know, uses knocking music on these devices it's a very handy upgrade uh, just because honestly it makes things a bit easier to you know download music or buy it through the store uh, and even if you're not using it for downloading music actually it's a quick way to go and yeah. get a preview of any music track um it will need a phone restart because it's a relatively low level install it's obviously changing some system components um and obviously it's an update to what's already sitting in the firmware uh, we actually note in the news story or rather steve notes in the news story it's not listed in 
settings installation so it's not very easy to uninstall <laughs> essentially that means it's kind of a, a system upgrade rather than the traditional kind of app installation process but that's something to be expected when you're dealing with components like this that are replacing something in the ROM and obviously making some quite low level changes and that's partly because of the way that um, Rocky Music obviously integrates into other applications in terms of being able to uh, you know follow links to buy music and that kind of thing uh, but if if you use Nokia Music on your kind of N8 or E7 device, definitely worth downloading. Yeah, I was actually amazed. I was looking back at my older devices, which hadn't had, which weren't Bell Featurepack One, Featurepack Two, and the version of Nokia Music on them in the firmware, even in 2013, seemed to be before this upgrade the old web mobile web version, whereby you're effectively reloading a web page every single time you're looking at a new track. It just seems archaic, and uh, I just couldn't believe it had taken Nokia so long. But it's here, and as you say, for the C6, C7, E7, N8, uh, not sure it's available for the E6 yet, So, but certainly that generation, now up to Bell Refresh, you can download this new cutified version, and it works quite well. So, yeah, well done. Uh, and it's interesting because I think this is an example of, you know, we sometimes talk about hybrid versus web apps or rather native versus web apps. And this is effectively a hybrid app because obviously it's drawing information um, from the from the web or from the Nokia music servers. Uh, and some of it is sort of hybrid in the sense that, you know, it totally relies on a connection in order to work. But it's the best kind of app. And there are actually some still some web components in it. Uh, but it's an example of how kind of smartphone apps have moved on. It's sort of an example of how Symbian didn't quite keep with the times. And, you know, as you're saying there, Steve, really the kind of the old version was not quite hideously out of date, but it was behind the times compared to kind of the music ex- buying experience you get on all the other uh, devices now. And obviously there's there's various options on uh, both on Windows Phone with the Nokia and the Zoom Music Store, but also Android having the Google options now. And obviously... Um, iTunes being tied in to the Apple iOS world. And it's something I'm not sure Symbian ever did terribly well in terms of being able to download and buy content on the device. It seemed to me, and certainly my way of using the device was always side-loading content. And it's kind of just one of those factors that kind of reminds me that Symbian came from a a different era to the modern smartphone. And you can say the same thing, uh, you know, about the App Store. I mean, Symbian did get a very good App Store in time, but now... You actually kind of seeing a few download problems. Maybe we'll talk about that in the podcast a bit later. But it didn't ever quite feel as fluid and as dynamic as it should have done. So it's kind of a, a shame seeing this arrive so late. On the other hand, if you're still using these devices, def- definitely worth downloading so you can uh, get your music fixed on your phone. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, yes, as you say, when Symbian was created, we, we didn't have things like broadband internet and we didn't have, we, we barely had GPRS. And if we did, it was by a phone and an infrared link to between a palm top and, uh, and a feature phone. So, yeah, definitely a day has gone by. That's, what's that, 16 years ago, Rafe? That's right. Um, <laughs> it's just kind of, you know, people ask me quite frequently now, what's the reason that, that Symbian didn't work? And you can go through all the usual reasons around politics and everything else. But for me, actually, the biggest reason is still that the world changed around Symbian vastly more than people ever seem to realise or remember and having a, a system that can sort of evolve through that is very difficult to do. And I'm actually sure we're going to see the same thing happen to some of the, the current operating systems. It may be a little different because they're less dependent on just being a singular device. And now we're sort of getting used to the cloud and connecting with other screens. And the idea of companion screens or third screening is, is very much more prevalent. And so the whole world is designed around that assumption 
We have to remember, you know, that Symbian's origins are really based on the idea of what was truly a smartphone rather than what we have now, which are far more kind of very smart companion devices. That's a very short summary of what's actually quite an interesting question. Yeah, fascinating hearing uh, the perhaps quote there from a person saying, tell me the reasons why Symbian, quote, didn't work. I would point out that when Symbian was created, if you'd said then, oh, by the way, it's going to st- we're going to ship um, a half a billion devices running this operating system over the next decade, they say, wow, that, is, that will be a huge, huge success, half a billion devices, let's plow ahead full speed. Absolutely. And yet look, looking back in 2013, you think, well, okay, Symbian's a bit of a failure. It sold half a billion devices <laughs> over a decade. That is a lot. And a lot of them, of course, are actually still in use. I, absolutely. And I should have, uh, I, I misspoke, I suppose, is the phrase I should be using. It, it's not that it failed. You know, why has it gone away, perhaps, is a better thing. But there is a certain amount of revisionist history going on, the idea that the iPhone was the first modern smartphone. Any time I hear that, I want to scream because you know, <laughs> Symbian really did found the age of the smartphone. And as Steve quite rightly says, half a billion of them. Now, there are others out there. Certainly some of the uh, Palm devices could take a certain amount of credit. But the idea that uh, of creating a smartphone that would be mass market, everyone could own one, was certainly the vision that was first espoused by Symbian, more so than anyone else, and actually where the smartphone market is growing today in cheap devices. That's a trend that Symbian and Nokia recognised a, a long time ago. Now, of course, there's plenty it missed out on. Um, but yes, it's always worth reminding ourselves, You know, if you're writing about smartphones or you're writing about mobile I think the change between kind of the typical feature phone when Symbian began and what Symbian you know, came to, that was a far bigger gap than kind of the last of the Symbian phones uh, to what we consider a modern smartphone today. And that's kind of reflected in the fact that for some people, the Nokia 808 Pure or, or even the N8 is still very much a, a competitive smartphone. I think even Symbian's biggest fans would, would note that, you know, the world is moving on now. Um, but, you know, you can see that um, kind of evolutionary gap. And I, I would argue it's much smaller than the kind of the jump from, you know, what was the basic mobile phone before Symbian came along. And so in that sense, uh, I regard Symbian as far more responsible for many of the ideas, the innovation in the, the smartphone world. And kind of the one exception to that, I guess, is the touchscreen. And after that, it's all been very much iterative improvements. And kind of remember that Symbian, at least in the form of Cyan, uh, was touchscreen at one point and so even that is kind of a a questionable innovation to you know do for the iphone i mean i think what the iphone should get credit for is doing a certain amount of popularization of the idea that a user experience needs to be you know very polished and easy to use and the idea that you know touchscreens were going to be an important way to do that you know you shouldn't take anything away from from what apple did with the iphone um but I, I think the kind of the idea that Symbian was just a feature phone operating system is something that really is, uh, <laughs> annoys me when I hear it said. Yes, and of course, I'm just waving my Nokia 7710 around here, where you can't see on an audio podcast, but that was, what, four or five years before the iPhone came along, and it was a full, large-screened, touchscreen, Symbian-based smartphone operating system. Okay, Nokia put absolutely zero marketing dollars behind it and zero build dollars behind it, but it existed, and it was there, and say, four or five years before. Yeah, and it, it sort of gives a strong foundation to the argument that, you know, Nokia's problem wasn't coming up with ideas or innovation. It was actually in the implementation. And I think it's, as it is in many industries, you know, it's not about the research and development necessarily or the innovation or whatever you choose to call it, the ideas. 
you know, there are very compelling business reasons why things can't be done a certain way. And, you know, the 7110, which Steve was referring to there, you know, I think everyone recognised it as an innovative device. No one quite realised that that was going to be the future of smartphones. But if you then looked at the Series 60 devices were, that were there at the same time, you know, they were cheaper, they were more convenient for the mass market. And so it made absolute sense for Nokia to follow that route. Uh, and so, you know, people talk about, you know, innovation being this mystical thing. Actually, innovation has to be paired with kind of a certain amount of strategic and business sense. Uh, and the trick is, I suspect, you know, injecting more innovation into that at the expense of business strategy. And that's, it's, it's not an easy thing to pull off. Uh, and so it, sometimes, you know, people talk about what's the next innovation in the smartphone world. Actually, I think the, the successes have come when you set up a, a new business model, a new way of selling devices. I mean, obviously, that's something Apple did with the iPhone, one of the reasons for their success. And we're sort of seeing the same thing happen again with the idea of cheap smartphones. And, you know, Android set up a, a business model which was, wasn't exactly aping the iPhone uh, in the business way. It was um, in terms of the technical implementation. But they created an operating system that was perceived to be free, um, not just for consumers, it was pretty irrelevant, but it was important for uh, smartphone manufacturers who previously only seen operating systems that required a licensing fee, that be that Windows Mobile, Palm, um, or um, Symbian itself. And, uh, you know, I think that's just something to bear in mind when you think about where the smartphone world is going next. You know, think about business model innovation as much as technical innovation. Yeah, yeah. Talking about innovation, and this is kind of going off at a side tangent, but it is relevant to Symbian. <laughs> um, Apple released iOS 7 for developers last week, and uh, people have been playing with it. And I couldn't resist a tongue-in-cheek look, Rafe. You probably saw the story on the side, and I, probably, I expect to get my hands slapped for it, really. But uh, just to run you through some of the aspects that struck me, um, Apple announced multitasking for all applications with great battery life. Well, that's, that's very 2002 in Symbian, isn't it? And in, in, the, in our, Apple's case, it's not even full multitasking still. There are still caveats. They also announced, uh, let's have a look, a multitasking carousel uh, where you, you can browse through running applications and see snapshots of what they're up to. I'm sure I was seeing this three or four years ago on Symbian. Uh, that all themes themes are where you can actually change the look and feel of your phone by just changing a setting or changing a wallpaper. Wow, i I'm sure I had that 10, 10 years ago, 10 years ago on S60. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. Uh, what were your impressions of this iOS 7? Did any of this leap out at you as horrendously sim similar in some ways to Symbian? Well, I think I said in the last podcast, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah. You know, I'm reluctant to ever say that was a blatant copy or whatever, because I think every single uh, piece of technology builds on what went before. Yeah. And particularly in the mobile world, we've seen copying from, um, you know, Windows Phone. Actually, that was probably one of the more innovative ones. And Symbian was kind of a, a early days. But some of the stuff that Symbian did wasn't dissimilar to things that Palm had done. Uh, I mean, Android, I actually think, is probably more guilty of copying than most. But they've done some more recent innovations. But certainly it's fair to say that iOS 7 does feel like, you know, some of the ideas have come across from Symbian Android, not just conceptually, but in, in the way things look. Uh, it was something that needed to happen for iOS 7. You know, it was feeling a bit visually stale, uh, but it does feel to me like it was uh, it, the problem I've talked about before is, you know, you can make something look new, 
but some of the underlying problems still remain. And I feel that quite strongly about iOS 7. To be fair, it's kind of a beta release, so we have to give it a a little bit more time. But, you know, Symbian actually went through much this same problem. You know, it did get a lick of paint on several occasions. Uh, You know, the, the Bell release is probably the best known example of that, but it also applied to Anna. And there were some of these, you know, licks of paint, if you like, uh, before that, we're moving from third edition to fifth edition, uh, and most notably, perhaps to Symbian three, and then there came the obvious UI updates. But it didn't really solve some of the underlying problems. And uh, you know, I think iOS in particular is suffering from exactly the same thing that Symbian went through. You know, you can uh, base something, you start something new, but then you're imprisoned by what you've done before when you try and develop it further. And so, you get this feeling of bolting stuff on. Uh, and I think. The best example of that is probably notifications on iOS. Obviously, that came in a lot earlier. And so, you know, you're stuck with a legacy of your previous versions and a competitor can come along and then do something fresh and new. But they can do that much more easily because, you know, they haven't got anything holding them back or anything legacy tying them down. And so iOS 7 to me very much feels like, you know, trying to get away from that by doing a visual redesign and I think a lot of it's nice. Uh, I'm glad to see the back of the kind of yeah. scudomorphic design principles because I've never really been a fan of them. I can't say I'm a massive fan of the gradients. Um, I think they're very much going to be an acquired taste, but it'll be interesting to see whether we get some themes that allow that to come in and, and be customised. I mean, it looks at the moment officially no, but there's always you know room for clever software developers out there, so we'll have to wait and see on that one. Uh, but yes, <laughs> if you look at it just from a you know, the high level view, there's no denying there's um, a certain amount of commonality, yeah. uh, particularly around the multitasking, some of the messaging used. But I suppose that's always been true of um, iOS. And Steve Jobs was always famous for, you know, presenting things brilliantly that everyone regarded as new, but were actually really polished implementations of something that someone else had done. I mean, one of the classic examples of this is when they first announced the iPhone talking about it having the first proper web browser. It was wonderful because it was based on WebKit. And any Symbian user <laughs> who was knowledgeable knew that the Symbian web browser was based on WebKit. But I don't think anyone who then used the two would sort of say that, you know, the early version of Safari, um, you know, wasn't better than uh, the Symbian browser at the time. I mean, uh, there was one of the sad things, you know, Symbian came up with a brilliantly innovative browser, or rather Nokia did, working out of Boston. Uh, but then rather sat back on their laurels and didn't continue to develop it, which given the importance of the web was always something of a mistake. And it was only later on that more money got put into the development of that uh, browser engine and it sort of improved and then was maybe held back by kind of resources on the device, you know, not enough memory and processor. Uh, But there's plenty of examples of uh, Apple doing that. I guess iOS 7 is just the latest version. I mean, the thing that does surprise me is for a, you know, yes, of course, there's going to be changes when you do the design, but a lot of the iconography is so very different, and it's not just on the the icons themselves; it's also on the toolbars. You know, for someone upgrading their device and suddenly finding this completely new look, it's <laughs> going to be a certain amount of yeah. stuff that's not familiar. And I wonder whether that might, you know, cause. I'm sure they're going to be bring back my icons. I want the old style back. Um, in this age where people are used to the idea of software updates and probably don't think too hard about whether to install them, you know, you, there's a certain danger that you could alienate muscle memory or visual memory, I su- suppose it would be. Um, but as I say, at the same time, I think this was an absolutely necessary thing for Apple to do. And I think it's, yeah. 
you can't really judge it until it comes out in its final release. So I don't want to be too harsh on it. Yeah, I was actually stunned by how poor some of the icons were in iOS 7. I don't want to get too sidetracked by this, but they did remind me of some of the more garish Symbian themes. I get all sorts of theme authors. They email me and say, try my latest theme, and, and the icons sometimes are so ridiculous. You think, well, what on earth are all those? And without the text label, you just wouldn't be able to work out what they are. And in Apple's case, some of their new icons are just ridiculous, and some are just outrageously, like, look like a three-year-old has designed them, to be <laughs> honest. And I'm sure they're going to change that. This is just the first beta, but I, I did have to chuckle, really, and I well, I'm, yeah, I can it, it's interesting, isn't it, Steve? You know, having gone from the, the skeuomorphic design, it's almost gone to this very pastel-heavy color palette. Um, and, you know, everything has been flattened and it's been given this kind of modernist look. But at the same time, there's still, still a sort of sense of Apple whimsy on, on some of this gradient and, as you say, icon design. Uh, I mean, Steve said in the news post about this that Steve Jobs would be rolling in his grave. I find it difficult to disagree with that um, because, <laughs> I don't know, for something that's, uh, you know, looking for modernist design principles, uh, I think it's just a little bit too garish and a bit too in your face. I mean, design principles are obviously a tricky thing to talk about, but it doesn't feel quite as elegant as the approach that Apple had before. Now, I may not have liked the kind of scudomorphic design, but there was no des- denying the consistency was pretty impressive. This time round... The consistency doesn't feel as good, especially with the you know, advances that have been made in the Android world and some of the skins. You know, uh, the HTC One uh, with you know HTC's custom skin on it is far better than it ever was in the past. Um, yeah. Still not a big fan of what Samsung does with Touch with, but also you know with Microsoft's Windows Phone, you know they demonstrated the effect of having very clear style guidelines that. You know, some people say it locks it into a very particular feel, um, and Symbian was like that in the early days. You know, very strong on the style guide, and things came a bit confused when Cute was introduced because you kind of had the mix of the two. But if you look at the, you know, the core applications on Bell Feature Pack Two, there's actually a great degree of consistency, which does make things easy to use. You know, you learn the system, and once you've learned it, it's fine. I think Symbian maybe had a problem with a steep learning curve um, and the leftovers of moving from non-touch to touch design. Uh, but it, it's wor- worth keeping an eye on, I think, in the Apple world for something that's, you know, Apple's always been famous for their ease of use and the UX consistency. I just wonder whether that's going away a little bit, or whether it's even been there in the first place. I don't know. I'd have to, I've only used <laughs> it briefly, iOS 7, so actually, you know, I, here am I giving you an opinion and giving out about it, but I probably need to spend a bit more time with it. Yeah, it is worth noting, and we were talking about how old Symbian is, and, and or regular users will know its, its history, but uh, it's worth noting that of the current operating systems, either operating systems that manufacturers actually support are looking forward, iOS is the oldest. iOS is now seven years old, and uh, I guess it's, uh, in terms of uh, age, it's approaching its sort of S65th edition to Symbian 3 transition, and it, it's at that stage in its life where it's having to refresh itself and rethink itself just to exist, just to stay afloat. That's that's right, and this comes back to kind of what I have laughingly referred to as my kind of law of uh, ecosystems or law of mobile operating platforms that you have about a ten-year life cycle, and after that ten years, you you start to run into trouble, and actually it starts happening before then. You can see the writing on the wall, and it goes back to what I was just saying a little bit earlier. You know, the operating system, the platform is designed for a specific time period, and then everything else that comes after it is kind of a bolt-on. It's a very tricky thing to pull off a transition within that, you know, changing the, the base principles. 
um, and the mobile world is moving, you know, moves quickly, and so that gives that kind of life cycle. But if you look back, a lot of the mobile operating systems have lasted that kind of length of time before them being consigned or completely rewritten. And you can look at uh, Symbian, you can look at Windows Mobile and Windows Phone, even something like Palm, for example. And then you go back to some of the predecessors before that. It's not impossible to see that cycle continuing in the future. And I've always said I felt that iOS in the next few years would face a real challenge and it needs to do a, a redesign. I don't think this visual one will be enough. I think it's going to have to be deeper seated than that. And pulling off that transition, uh, people will remember the binary break in Symbian when going from Symbian 7.8 to Symbian 9. Uh, you know, basically broke backwards compatibility completely and caused you know, a, a lot of hassle. And that was only a partial break. I mean, potentially it could be a lot more than that. You know, the idea of having to run applications either in letterbox or in compatibility mode. And, you know, you see the same thing on the desktop and it kind of breaks that consistency of experience, which I think is very important on mobile for ease of use. So, uh, you know, and I should say that actually I think Android will face the same thing, but it's obviously uh, a couple of years later than um, iOS and so maybe has a bit more time in hand. Yeah, yeah. Just changing the subject very slightly, maybe to a, a brand new operating system in, in comparison with Symbian. Um, BlackBerry OS X. Now, I've been trying out the BlackBerry Q10 and, of course, with the Nokia E6. I did a head-to-head on the All About Symbian story, so we'll link to that in the show notes. I also did my phone show review of the Q10, and we'll, you can link to that if you want to, Ray, plug, plug for my show. Um, but essentially, it, I reckon it makes a very, very um, decent upgrade for an E6 owner. Now, you could argue that Symbian of the E6 isn't dead. It's still working well. People still like the E6. But the slightly small screen does start to grate after a while. And you, you have to feel that with the application after application comes out. And it's not supported. I literally not released in the E6 of the Nokia store because of the compatibility issues with the different size screen. It's, it's landscape. It's 4x3, four, four et cetera, et cetera. So the E6 is kind of getting forgotten a bit. And you feel like you're just heading down a silo, heading down a blind alley with the E6. You love it, but you know it's hasn't really got a future and to be honest this blackberry q10 i'm curious as to whether you've played with one rafe it really is a very very natural successor now obviously there are aspects of blackberry os 10 in terms of the applications available and even just a few quirks in the ui which they obviously need to sort out and i'm sure blackberry are on it but uh, i can see a situation where maybe six months time any e6 owner you could say yep Keep, put that E6, take your SIM card out, put the E6 in a drawer, hang on to it. You may want to go back, but do give the BlackBerry Q10 a try because uh, I think it's a very natural fit. Absolutely. I think if, you know, the reason you have an E6 is the form factor, if there aren't many devices you can think about upgrading to, the, the only thing I would say is I would honestly suggest you look at going to a different form factor um, and consider that as a serious option. You know, as, in addition as an option for taking this uh, Q10 approach, I think what probably counts against the Q10, because I agree with you, it's a, a fantastic piece of hardware design. Um, it's one of the best bits of hardware that I think BlackBerry have produced in, in a long time. I prefer it to the Z10 um, by quite some yeah. distance oh, yeah, in terms yeah. of the hardware design. Uh, I wonder whether a similar thing is going to happen on the software side, because there are a lot of question marks around the strength of the BlackBerry ecosystem. You know, just as... Uh, Windows Phone gets them. I think actually they're far more acute on the the BlackBerry side. Now, certain types of application, particularly the enterprise-ready ones and probably some of the messaging stuff, I think there's a good chance that that comes across. But on others, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. And you mentioned a couple of quirks in the UI. I think this is a problem that, that BlackBerry faces. You know, because they're trying to do everything, and quite admirably so, some bits do sometimes get left behind. And so there is a, 
almost a feeling of a lack of polish on BlackBerry 10. Um, that's true of any new uh, operating system, but I think it will be harder to solve there. Uh, and, you know, this happened with the early versions of Android, early versions of iOS. You know, let's not forget there were no sure. apps on the first yeah. version of the iPhone, similarly with Windows Phone. I just wonder whether, you know, that maturity angle is going to be a problem. Having said that, if you're an E6 user, you're probably quite used to that kind of thing. You go, <laughs> well, fine, that's not that's not going to bother me because it's the form factor thing that matters. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, I really love that form factor. I used it for years and I didn't think I would be able to, you know, switch to using another device. Uh, you know, if it was my, if it was, you know, if I wasn't writing about them all the time, that's probably the form factor I'd have chosen personally myself. But then I started using touchscreen devices where the keyboard recognition had got better and it wasn't an issue for me. And suddenly all that space used up by the keyboard, it was just taking too much of the physical space on the device and having the bigger screen was a bigger boon uh, and the, you know, the text recognition or maybe just my ability to type on an on-screen keyboard got to the point where the benefits in having that physical QWERTY keyboard just weren't there anymore. But I do appreciate it's going to be be different for everyone. But as someone who was sort of fairly diehard in that camp, it, it's sort of, I wonder how much legs it, it's got left. But that's not to say um, that BlackBerry haven't produced a really nice piece of hardware. I particularly like the way they've, I think it's referred to the frets, it's metal strips that run across the keyboard and then sort of tuck underneath. And so the build quality on that keyboard, which has always been a weak point on those QWERTY devices, um, I think Nokia are one of the few companies that consistently produce very good keyboards. Yeah. Uh, BlackBerry have now done you know something similar. And for those who like the sort of particular shape of the BlackBerry keyboard, um, the only way I can describe it is each key kind of is individually shaped and in line, so quite easy to identify without looking at the keyboard. You know, the Q10 has all of that. And so... In that sense, yes, it probably is one of the natural upgrades from the Nokia E6. Uh, I suspect there aren't all that many E6 users out there. It's, you know, the E6 sold reasonably well, but never in, in great numbers, certainly compared to some of the other Symbian devices. Uh, and so if you're an E6 user out there, well, congratulations for sticking with it because you managed to do what I couldn't, couldn't do. Um, and I'd say, yes, look at the Q10. If you're willing to change platform and you're not too bothered about the you know, the, the hardware form factor, I would suggest you might want to look elsewhere because you're probably just putting off a, a decision about switching away from QWERTY for a, a few more years, maybe. Maybe I'm being too cynical or you know, <laughs> too pessimistic about the future of QWERTY, but it, it's just hard to see it really thriving. I mean, I, I spoke to BlackBerry about this at the Mobile World Congress back in uh, earlier this year, and they were actually actively encouraging people to go to the touch experience either z10 rather than the q10 and we're making you know they're not being shy about it they're saying we really think people should try out the touch version and i think that's because they had that kind of belief that there was a limited life to to qwerty and you do get a lesser experience i mean i think so much of the modern smartphone experience now is based on having a big screen that's in terms of the way apps present data uh, and so much of it is based around consumption of content that being that kind of multimedia but more particularly web and reading the sacrifice required to give up effectively half the front space of the device to a keyboard. It, it's a big ask. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, with a, a messaging focus and a communications focused phone, I mean, if you're not spending all your time watching movies, playing games, etc., then in actual fact, having a device where 
every time you want to type a character, which may be a lot of the time, you don't get half the screen disappearing because a pop-up keyboard has to open. And you can't have to scroll around in this fiddly window trying to see your content. With having a physical QWERTY keyboard means the keyboard is there all the time and the screen is there all the time. Mm. And I absolutely accept if, you, if, you, if, you, if your focus is on multimedia and on web browsing, big screen device will suit you better but there are a lot of people for whom every time they pick up their nokia e6 or q10 or e7 or whatever every time they, they, they there's some anticipation they're going to be entering text into whatever they're interacting with and at that point the physical qwerty absolutely pays dividends so i, I would say i would estimate rafe that probably a, a million or so e6s were sold a million now that's not a huge number compared to the number that smartphones sell today but hey there are a million people out there who bought an e6 and like the form factor and therefore there is a market, however yeah, small. I, I suspect it might be even more than that. And actually, there's a lot more Nokia QWERTY users out there because Nokia produced a whole load of Series 40 QWERTY devices. In fact, they still do, and they're still pretty popular. Some of the Asher devices, uh, I can't quite remember the index number. It's something like the 303 or the 305. And they're continuing to do so. And actually, Nokia at one point, I think, still is the world's biggest manufacturer of QWERTY devices. So don't get me wrong, there's still definitely space for that. Um, and I wouldn't deny that if you're doing messaging, and it can be text messaging, it can be instant messaging, or it can be email, you know, having the, on the real keyboard is a real plus point. The trouble, I think, is that the amount of time that you spend on that activity has reduced, or rather you do more things as well. And so I think the number of people who are pure messaging users on smartphones has probably you know, declined significantly in the last few years. Partly that's a rise of apps and partly it's an expectation you'll do more with the phone. Um, and QWERTY was kind of the, not the last hurrah, but it was a holdout from the days when phones were really all about communication. Um, and you, you had the traditional 12 key form factor for making phone calls. And QWERTY was very much a response to the rise of SMS, email and messaging. Uh, and you know that is still a primary use case for some people. But I think the majority majority of people are now using their phone for other stuff as well and, and so i guess it's the question of you know are you willing to put up with the you know, the limitations of qwerty in order to have that primary messaging experience um i don't know what the percentage are. i mean would welcome some feedback on this if you're still an e6 user or really like that qwerty form factor you know let us know and tell us the reasons why you're not alone out there I've got family members who refuse to switch to a touchscreen because they send so many text messages and they got used to doing multi-tap on a 12-key keypad that they refuse to have a, a touchscreen device despite my best efforts to convert them. Um, and so I'm sure there's plenty of those people out there that similarly inclined up with a QWERTY keyboard. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Drop us a, a comment on the, on the news story for this podcast. Also, Nokia E7, of course, I think, but probably also sold a million over its lifetime. So, that, yeah, definitely a few people yeah. out there. Um, just a, one final thought, um, Rafe. We've got uh, an event coming up mid-July, I guess, or just just under a month's time in New York. Now, Nokia trailed this as uh, Zoom reinvented, and uh, the fans of the Nokia 808 PureView may be just uh, kind of intrigued as to what's, what's coming. I guess we're expecting a kind of a Windows Phone-powered version of the same PureView camera. Can you perhaps just very quickly just summarize what we might be expecting? Well, Nokia have entitled this, or given the tagline of this event, Zoom reinvented, which is pretty much exactly the tagline they used when they announced the 808 PureView at MWC, um, I guess it's 18 months ago now, a little bit more maybe. And 
They said at the time that this is a technology that we could only do on Symbian Windows Phone wasn't ready for it, but make no mistake, we're going to reuse it on a future device. Although they never explicitly said it would be Windows Phone, that was the obvious assumption. So I think they're now going to deliver on that promise. And what we'll effectively see is a Windows Phone version of the 808 PureView. Now, I actually think it's going to use a design that's reminiscent of the Lumia 920. Why do I think that? Well, there's been several leaked photos to Uh that effect. Uh, It is going to have a fairly sizable camera hump on the back, just like the 808. Uh, Maybe more of a camera swelling than a hump, I would say. Uh, We'll have to (laughs) wait to see the exact dimension of it, but I suspect we're going to see a very similar camera module in terms of there'll be a 41 megapixel sensor there. It'll have the same kind of pure view pixels, you know, interpolating seven into one to reduce radically the amount of noise increase color accuracy and i would expect it to take the kind of the title as world's best smartphone you know, it's 18 months down the road so i would imagine there may have been some innovations or technical developments in the meantime that could be you know maybe the number of lenses or uh, elements in the lens array it could be some extra software processing i mean i always felt that the 808 was very much the first stage in the things that you could do um, having got that power in a camera module, we're never really fully realised with the 808 PureView. So I wonder, uh, you know, what's to come? We'll certainly get a, a custom camera application because the current Windows Phone camera app, you know, is nothing like the 808 camera app and doesn't have that fine control on settings, uh, which is always one of my favourite features. Uh, and of course, we'll have the big megapixel, 36, 38 megapixel images. Um, we'll have the, the video zoom as well and have that kind of lossless digital zoom so you know it's going to be an interesting one because understandably a lot of people said i I don't want to get a windows phone device until it's got a camera as good as the 808 well that is is going to happen now and so in in one sense symbian's last bastion you know its last point of defense it had the ultimate camera phone might not uh, be quite so true in a, a month or so's time there will be a windows phone version of it now some people still say prefer symbian and that's a perfectly acceptable view to take but I think, you know, those who have looked at all the platforms out there will go, actually, I can see the benefits in using a Windows phone device. And honestly, I'm one of them. I still still love my Symbian devices. I still use them on occasion. But I am now a primary a Windows phone user with the 808 becoming kind of a camera device. And I also keep a, a 701 around for battery life reasons and also because you know, I'm still interested in the Symbian world. Uh, but currently I'm using a Lumia 925 as kind of my day-to-day device. And honestly, it excites me that I would be able to combine the 808 and something like the 920, 925 into to one device. So it's certainly one to watch out for. And um, if you're interested in, you know, kind of what's the next stage of Nokia's camera innovation, uh, certainly one to watch. And I, I would suggest it's more going to be on the software side with things like Nokia's smart camera and cinemagraph and uh, smart shoot come along and i kind of wonder what the potential is to do with that when you've got an 808 quality camera module and that processing power because it's almost certainly going to need some kind of co-processor for the imaging side and there's potential to do even more there and you know it's a big next step so watch out for more from uh, new york in about a month's time you'll be able to follow that on allaboutwindowsphone.com but i think we'll probably find uh, a reason to mention it on allaboutsymbian.com as well yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how many 808 owners actually do make the switch when this device, rumoured, uh, a codenamed EOS, actually does appear on the streets. I did write an article, just put, if you can also put this in the show notes, entitled 10 Reasons Why I'm Still in the Nokia 808 and Symbian. 
in June 2013. It's just interesting, just running through the, the 10 here, how many of these might be matched by this new device on Windows wow, Phone? I was looking at this. <laughs> okay, number one, the always-on AMOLED clock and Nokia sleeping screen. Well, that's actually coming and has come, in fact, to your Lumia 925. That's so. Right. I, I guess this AMOLED screened Nokia EOS with the camera, I guess that will also have this uh, always-on clock. So that's one thing you can tick off. Support for an FM transmitter, I don't somehow think that's coming to Windows Phone. I think that's probably a technology whose time has passed, but uh, I personally do still love it on my Symbian phones. A battery life, I would still say is superior on Symbian, but of course it's always getting better, and the batteries on these um, 2013 smartphones are getting larger in capacity, so I think battery life generally is getting uh, better across the board. Maybe that's not quite such much of an issue for people. Expandability, and I'm still hoping that this, um, whatever comes out of this Nokia EOS, does have an, a micro SD slot, because I think that's... Yeah, I don't hold your breath, Steve. <laughs> oh, dear. Do you have inside knowledge? I don't have any particular <laughs> inside knowledge on that, but uh, I suspect we'll see 32 gigabytes built in, uh, which yeah. I think for most people is going to be enough, but I can certainly see why yeah. people would want uh, micro SD on a, on a device like this, because if you're shooting lots of you know, video yeah. or photos, it's certainly uh, going to be possible to fill up that memory quite quickly. Yeah, 32 gigabytes would be enough. But um, I, if, if Nokia released this uh, this device with a 16 gig internal, just like you've got on your 90, Lumia 925, I should be very, very cross. I'm um, just running down the rest of the list. Um, the 808's camera, of course, will be the same unit. The Xenon Flash, hopefully, will be similar or the same or maybe even better. So Xenon Flash, again, will make its way into the Windows Phone world. That's a step in its favour. Full multitasking. Windows Phone 8 multitasking is getting better. If you, if I remember to press an, the, the back button and get the, quote, multitasking or recent apps list on Windows Phone, I do find that the multitasking works fairly seamlessly. So that is getting better. Um, audio control. I still miss this one, Rafe. I, I'm so used to using these full multimedia headsets on my all my Nokia N-series devices and carrying on to the 808 where I can do all the, the, the hardware, wired, uh, skip back, skip forward, pause, volume, everything all on one little module. And I still get frustrated that these modern 2013 smartphones just come with a single headset button just for answering calls. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe pausing playback and that's it. So, uh, well, you, uh, you say that. It's worth mentioning here, people might not know this as a tip, with those uh, controls on the American Hedgeck style, if you do multiple presses on that single button, you can actually do skip forward and skip back on music controls as well. And I found that was actually enough for me because uh, the volume stuff is fairly accessible on the device itself and I, I never really changed the volume much on those controls. And until then, I'd have agreed with you that that headset is an important one. But uh, having discovered the trick the other day of being able to... Uh, it was mainly to be honest skip a track when i didn't want to listen to it that was uh, kind of the pain point there um, yeah. but yes yeah, so i i at most you can get a half point there for you know i'm keeping <laughs> track by the way of how many it's whether you're <laughs> going to be happy or not yeah. oh, number eight was the nokia 808 is still getting updates i guess that was me stretching a point there i'm not even going to get half a point for that one whereas obviously windows phone 8 is still very much a current os number nine High-quality music output and a decent speaker. Well, again, I have to say that the, the Lumia 920 I've got here and presumably the 925 and presumably whatever this new EOS is will all have this same champion speaker that the 808 has and it's all top-notch. So you really can't fault the, the speaker output and the, even the music output over headphones on these new Windows phones. Uh, number 10 was me really, really stretching a point to get it to 10. <laughs> I said, I relish the challenge of keeping everything working. Well, you can the challenge of getting used to Windows Phone then, Steve, given how much you like it. 
So I guess looking back, I haven't really scored very many points in Symbian's favour from that 10. I guess I, when this new EOS does arrive, then I'm not going to have very many excuses for not giving it a, a serious try with my main device. Yeah, I think there's maybe uh, six to seven of those points will probably be met by the EOS, the exceptions really being uh, expandability, maybe a half on the multitasking, the battery life and some of the other bits and pieces. And of course, you also have to set that off against some of the advantages uh, you're going to get. So it, it's very interesting to see this one coming because I think there are quite a few listeners to this podcast and people who are on the 808, you know, who uh, have chosen to stay on something because they want that camera and they're going to be able to get that camera in another way. But before we get too excited, I'd be the first one to say, I don't think the kind of the step forward is going to be anything like as big as it was, you know, going from the N8 to the 808 as we're going to 808 to this new pure view device i think it's going to be broadly equivalent i think there may be a bit more innovation on the software side but i suspect some of the, the you know, imaging purists won't care about that because you know they'll be more interested in the very top results not kind of the the funky applications that you might get with it i, I may yet be proved one we'll have to wait yeah. and see on that one and so there's no reason to throw away the edge and suddenly upgrade there's not going to be a, a big reason to do so for camera I think actually what it will be about is you'll be able to maintain that same 808 camera and then have a, a smartphone platform that's just built around a different set of use cases. Uh, and honestly, I think you have to describe it as more modern uh, and more up-to-date than Symbian. As, as much as I love Symbian, I, you know, I think it does it a disservice if you try and stretch it and say, oh, no, it can still compete with all these uh, modern devices. They're very different offerings, and Symbian was built for a, a different period of time uh, and Windows Phone offers you know, a different experience, which isn't for everybody, and we've emphasized that many times, uh, but is more comparable with iOS and Android and kind of the modern yeah. cloud-connected, app-centric. Uh, and calling it a smartphone under places, I say I tend to call it a companion mobile device, because for me, smartphone was always a smarter phone, whereas I feel, you know, some of the the, the kind of the touchscreen centric devices have come, become something rather more you know, sometimes they get called super phones or whatever terminology you choose to use but for me it's really exciting that we'll get something with the 808 camera on a device that you know matches that kind of idea of the modern smartphone yeah lovely okay we're right out of time rafe it's been great chatting with you and, and gentle listener we i know it's been two or three weeks since our last podcast uh, i think that's probably going to be the, the right sort of frequency for the rest of the year but we will keep this podcast going the symbian faithful and uh, reporting on new updates and new applications as they come out but uh, we will say goodbye for now any last words from me rafe uh well no i think you summarized it perfectly there so i'll, I'll shut up for once <laughs> right, we'll catch you in the next all about symbian podcast bye-bye uh, just one point but near the start where i lost my place on my web browser if you could just